that we feel is going to be the same God that walks with this next door. Amen. And we're going to see God do great things. And as pastor said, we've got a lot of great opportunities for you to serve. So it's going to be an exponential thing. And we're going to see a lot of people walk through that door. How do you serve a God that you cannot see? It's real easy. You serve the people that you can't see. How do you love a God that you can't see? It's real easy. You love the person that you can see that's in front of you. Could you just take a second and turn around and give some love away? Tell that person you're glad to see them on Wednesday night. And then you can be seated. Started a journey a couple of weeks ago about the idea of rethinking our life. Everybody say rethinking our life. The first week we talked about defeating disappointment. Two weeks ago, last week, we started this journey on learning to think. Everybody say learning to think like Jesus. Amen. So just a quick recap because we've already started and I won't spend time there. Number one, we learned I know I to think like Jesus, I must know who I am. It's all about identity. Everybody say identity. Number two, we we talked about, I know God's purpose for my life. If I'm going to learn to think like Jesus, I must know God's purpose for my life. Number three, if I'm going to think like Jesus, I'm always aware that God is with me. How many of you are thankful for that promise that God is always with you? Number four, we talked about at the very end of last Wednesday, I must let God help me choose my words. I must help. How many of you struggle with that this week? Amen. Praise God. All of us struggle. Yeah, thank you for some honest people. Hallelujah. <laughs> I must. If I'm going to think like Jesus, I must help let God help me choose my words. And number five, this is where we're going to kind of plunge back into this today. And number five, when I learn to think like Jesus and have the mind of Christ, I cannot worry about pleasing everyone. That's good right there. I cannot worry about pleasing everyone. The statement that I made at the beginning, I think it's at the top of your notes. If we change the way that we think, we'll change our life. So say this with me. Change my thinking. Change my life. How many of you would like for your life to change in some area of your life? Somewhere right? Financially, physically, relationally, anywhere, anybody? You would like for your life to change. Guess what? The key is if you're going to change that part of your life, you have to change the way that you think about that part of your life. Our greatest problem is where? Right here. It's right here between these two ears. So if I'm going to learn to think like Jesus and have the mind of Christ, I can't worry about pleasing everyone. And this is huge for many of us because many of us, most of us probably in this room, constantly fall into the trap that we are constantly worried about what other people think about us. How many of you have ever struggled with people pleasing? All of us, right? All of us have. But when I put on the mind of Christ, when I learn to think like Christ, I can't worry about pleasing everyone. 
And in other words, what I've got to do is not that I'm trying to be ugly to everyone. The person that I'm not pleasing is not the person sitting beside me tonight. I've got to be concerned more about pleasing God. Jesus was never manipulated by crowds, by the approval or disapproval of anyone. He always lived for an audience of one. Remember these statements that we're talking about. All of these statements are coming from mainly the Gospel of John, and they're coming out of the mouth of Jesus himself. And if you look at John 5, 30, Jesus says, I only try to please the one who sent me. That would simplify life, wouldn't it? If the reason why you're stressed out, if you're trying, is you're trying to please everyone around you, about the time that you get crowd A pleased, crowd B is going to be ticked off at you. Are you with me? So if God in flesh did not worry about pleasing everyone else and could not please everyone else, guess what? Neither can we. But if God is pleased with what I'm doing, then I'm doing the right thing. Are you with me? Remember what was spoken over Jesus at his baptism in the, in the gospel of John. The voice came from heaven and said, this is my son in whom I'm what? Well, what? Pleased. I love him and I am what? Well, pleased with him. As someone who has been helping lead churches for over 20 years, I'm acutely aware of the fact that I am probably most likely every day not pleasing everyone. Why? Because you can't please everybody in this life. Trust me, I have tried. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, no man can serve two masters. You're either hate one or the other. We have to decide who we're going to live for. Am I going to live for the approval of man? Or am I going to live for the approval of God? Am I going to live for what other people think about me? Or am I going to live for what God thinks about me? When we're always looking for validation from other people, it means that we don't really realize who we are. We do not really realize who God made us and what he made us to do. And he is always with us. Jesus never let approval nor rejection control him. There was always two responses to Jesus when he encountered people. Either people loved him or they hated him. He always created a response. Either people fell in love with him or people hated him. And it seems like the people who should have loved him, the Pharisees and the religious rulers who should have loved him, were always the ones rejecting him. And the people who should have been rejecting him because of the sin in their life, the prostitute and the drunkard and the tax collector, what? They were drawn to him. Amen? Why? Because Jesus always created a response. Let me ask you a very personal question today. Whose approval are you depending upon for your own happiness? That's a loaded question. Whose approval are you depending on and you say to yourself, I would be happy if so-and-so was happy or so-and-so embraced me or if so-and-so I would be happy and a lot of times we can get into that trap and it's a subconscious thing something that we don't want to think about now here's what I want to clarify 
There are some people probably under the sound of my voice here today that you don't care what anybody thinks about you. Amen. And you do that in a negative way and it's a defensive posture. I'm not saying that you can't not strive to get along with people because Paul told the Romans, uh, he says, if possible, get along with everyone if you possibly can. Right? And a gift of the Spirit, are you with me? A gift of the Spirit and a fruit of the Spirit uh, is having enough long-suffering with other people who are not like you, who may cross paths with you, who may be sandpaper in your life, as my wife says, uh, who may be contrary to the way that you believe, say, and think, and act, uh, but those people can be in your life for a purpose. That doesn't mean that you have to have their approval, but the Bible says at least you can do with all peace, try to get along with that person. Amen? Amen? Why is that? Because that's a fruit of the Spirit. The truth is, no one can pressure you without your permission. And we think of that peer pressure is something that the kids deal with upstairs. No, ladies and gentlemen, peer pressure is something that we deal with in our entire life. And social media has magnified the fact that peer pressure is in all of our lives. So we have to settle in our heart. Who am I going to have the approval of? Am I going to strive to try to have all the approval of everyone in my life? I wish, I wish, I really do wish that every person in my life liked me. I went for years and years believing that every person that I encountered in my life liked me. Then I discovered, you know where I discovered it at? I didn't discover it in high school. I didn't discover it in college. I discovered it in ministry. That every person in my life, not only did they not like me, they weren't even for me and were contrary to what God was trying to do in my life. It was an astounding revelation. And so I had to settle in my mind that I am not living for the approval of those people. I am living for the approval of the audience of one. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Are you with me? The next thing, the sixth mark of learning to think like Jesus and having the mind of Christ. And this is a big one. I must depend upon God's power instead of my own power. I must learn to depend upon God's power instead of my own power. Why is that? Because God's power, everybody say this with me, God's power is a supernatural power. Our power is a physical power. We are limited in our ability to do things and to accomplish things. Remember, all of these verses that I'm sharing with you over the last couple of weeks are from direct quotes of Jesus Christ. Hear what John says. Here's what John says in Jesus, the very words of Jesus in John 5, 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself. This is Jesus speaking. Unless it is something what? That he sees the father what? Doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in the same way. How do we know? How do we know if we're trying to do everything on our human power alone? I'll give you a good tidbit. The more that you try to do, the more tired that you become in your life. Why? Because you're always trying to lean in to your own abilities. Ladies and gentlemen, there comes a time in our life 
over and over and over where just as pastor preached on Sunday morning, how did Jesus accomplish victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave? He did it by what? Surrender. Are you with me? He did it by surrender. And we have to surrender to the fact that we are not all powerful, but God is. Amen. I said, we are not all powerful, but God is. So when I feel myself in a place of weakness, if I feel myself in a place where I'm being overwhelmed, the best, most powerful and simplest prayer that I can pray is God. I surrender this situation to you. I pray that prayer over and over. Why? Because I do not have the strength and the ability to overcome every situation in my life. Why is that? God puts things in our life that become resistant to our faith. Uh, and he puts those things in our life. Why? So that we will do what? We will rely upon God. If you can fix it all the time, uh, if you can do it by your own authority all the time, uh, if you have the answer all the time, uh, then you are not learning to trust in God. Amen? Human power is limited. Everybody say human power is limited. God's power is not limited. I want to say that again. Human power is limited. God's power is not limited. You can look around this world and this world looks like it is out of control and it is in chaos. And by just what we see with the physical eyes... This world looks like a crazy place, and I agree, it's a crazy place. Uh, but there's not one moment in time or history that God is out of control. God has all things uh, under his control. If he is not Lord over all, then he is not Lord at all. Are you with me? I'm trying to help you here today because some of you are reading your news headlines and you're wondering what in the world is going out? Where is God in all the middle of this? I'm going to tell you where God is in the middle of this. He's exactly where he's always been. He's still seated on the throne. He still has all power. I said he still has all power, all authority. It doesn't matter if it's an army from North Korea or an army of ants in your backyard. God still has control. Now, we either trust in that, take comfort in that, and put our faith in that, or live in a place of chaos and fear. I don't know about you, but I don't plan on losing my mind anytime soon. Amen? I'm not going to lose my mind over what I see on Fox and CNN. In fact, I'll just turn it off. And I'm not hiding my head in the sand, but I have an understanding that the Bible says uh, that he is preeminent above all things. Uh, not just prominent, but preeminent. Uh, in other words, he has rulership and lordship uh, over everything. Uh, so no matter what the chaos is, no matter what the darkness is, uh, no matter what the evil looks like, and I look at it and I shake my head, uh, but I have to trust that God is in control amen why do we say that God is omnipotent that means he is what he is all powerful you believe that if we believe that then we have to trust in that that's an attribute of God that we do not have within ourselves 
There's some attributes that we do share with God, but that's one of those attributes, just like him being all-knowing, that we do not share with God. God is all-powerful. He holds all things in his hand. Ladies and gentlemen, this earth is but a footstool to the presence and the power and the authority of God. It doesn't matter. Say, Brother David, what about all of these uh, stories about aliens and people on other planets and UFOs? Uh, you either can be afraid of it or, or say, God, you created it all. I don't understand it, but you're still in control of it. Amen. 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 So the seventh thing of having the mind of Christ is this. And this is one of those tough ones that we deal with. But it's straight from the words of Jesus. If I'm going to think like Jesus, I must learn to forgive those who have hurt me. I must learn to forgive my enemies. This is a hallmark of the identity of who Jesus is. It makes him different from any other leader, human, religious, in Throughout history, Luke 23, 34, Jesus is on the cross. What is his, some of his last words? Father, forgive them. Why? They do not know what they're doing. He's in agony. He's pain, blood, as pastor preached to us Sunday mornings, draining the life out of his body. And he's dying there and he's looking at the very people who have just nailed him to the cross, who have beat him with an inch of his life. He's looking at Jewish leaders who have spit on him and plucked his beard and ridiculed him and made fun of him and laughed at him. They say that the, that the last words that have come out of a dying man or a dying woman's breath are some of the most important words uh, that they'll ever speak in their life. Why? Because it is in that moment of pain that they become so very, the very essence of who you are comes out of you. Why? Because you can't help yourself because of the pain that you're in. And the last words of Jesus were, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. This is what it means to think like Jesus. To be willing to forgive people who have hurt me. I want to say this. To be willing to forgive people who have abandoned me. To be willing to forgive people who have let me down. To be willing to forgive people who have rejected me. Who have talked bad about me behind my back. Who has hurt you the worst in your, or the most in your life. Who are you holding a grudge against? Who are you keeping back and you won't let them go when you're holding on to the pain? Ladies and gentlemen, I know you've heard it before, but I'm coming to tell you again. When you hold on to that hurt, the only one you're hurting is yourself. Most of those people don't even know that you're hurting and have forgotten about it anyway. We must learn to do what Jesus has done. Say, David, it's almost impossible for me to even imagine that. Let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you why you can do it. Because Jesus forgave you. Let me say it again. Because Jesus forgave you. And he put inside of you the power of the Holy Ghost. If you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you are filled with the Spirit of God living on the inside of you. And that is the Spirit of Christ. Are you with me? 
So if I have the spirit of Christ, I have the ability through his spirit to do what? To forgive people that seem unforgivable. They don't have the power to, they don't have the power to forgive. They don't deserve it and you don't deserve it, but you've been forgiven by God. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Here's the one thing. He doesn't even just stop there. He pushes it forward. He says another radical statement. In Matthew 5, 44, he says this. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. When's the last time that you stopped and prayed for someone who was against you? See, we all want to be like Jesus. Until we get into situations like this. And you know how that you can discover the level of your spiritual maturity when you can love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. You need to circle that and underline that. Bless those who don't want to bless me, but they want to curse me. That's how you know that you're living at a level of spiritual maturity. Amen? I've got to do good to those who hate me. I've got to pray for those who despitefully use me and persecute me. One of the most painful things in my life is coming to a point where I realize that people have misused me, they've abused me, they've talked bad about me, and bringing those people to an altar and saying, God, I thank you for blessing them, keeping them, and prospering them in Jesus' name. Amen? Are you with me? I watched my father and my mother stand in a funeral of a man in their city who tried to destroy their church. They weren't invited. They just showed up. And I watched grace personified as they loved on that family, even though that man had done what he could to hurt their church. I look at that and I know that is a testimony of not of them, but the Jesus that's on the inside of them. Amen? Why should we do that? Because the mind of Christ, thinking like Jesus, is the healthiest way to live. And if you, hear me very carefully, if you are living in a place of unforgiveness, it will eventually affect you physically. It will turn into bitterness, and that bitterness will turn into a physical ailment in your body. That's just the way that our bodies are created. Why? Because it's all connected together. So the healthiest way to live, the most healing way for us to live, the most happy way for us to live, and the most whole and holistic way for us to live is to have the mind of Jesus Christ. Because let's face it, if we don't have the mind of Christ, we're going to have the mind of something else. We're going to have a carnal mind, an evil mind, or a worldly mind, but we're going to have a mind of something else. So are you going to have a mind of this world? Right? Are you with me? What are you going to, what's, what is having a mind of this world and a a mind of carnality going to do? I'm going to tell you what it can do. I'll, I'll give you the answer right now. Leave you in pain. Let me say that again. Leave you in pain. Leave you in sickness. All right. Well, it's quiet. I better move on to the next one. Hallelujah. Everybody say, thank the Lord. He's moving on. We have to be reminded of this, right? Let, can, can, I, can I just tell you something? I want you to hear me very carefully. Forgiveness is an eternal heaven and hell issue. 
You must be forgiven to be saved. And Jesus says, if you want to be forgiven, forgive others. In fact, leave the altar. Leave your place of worship. Leave your gift at the altar and go back and find that person who has hurt you. Forgive them. What if they don't forgive me back? What if they don't receive it? Oh, that's on them. Right? But let me tell you something. The person that you'll truly find that you're freeing is actually yourself, not them. The person that you're truly healing is not them, you. Amen? So this is something we have to go back to over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we're truly trying to become more like Jesus. Number eight, what does it look like when I have the mind of Christ? If I have the mind of Christ, I learn to think like Jesus. I am willing to sacrifice for others. See, there's a lot of people in our world that sacrifice for themselves. But if we're going to be like Jesus, we must be willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others. John 10, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. In other words, what Jesus is saying, hear me very carefully. It is bad theology for you to say that Jesus was murdered by the Jews. Why? Because I have proof over and over and over and over in the Gospels. Jesus saying, I lay down my life willingly. Why? Because it becomes a sacrifice for our salvation. All right? So this is what it means to think like Jesus. He says it many times over. He came to serve. He came to sacrifice. He came to give. Mark 10, 45, he says, I came here not to be served. Everybody say not to be served. But to what? Serve others and give my life as a ransom for many. You should circle those two verbs there. To serve and to give. Following Jesus is all about learning how to serve others and give our lives away for the benefit of other people. Just what I said a while ago. How do we serve a God that we can't see? We serve a God that we can't see by serving people that we can see. And not just serving people within these four walls, but serving people in our community. Serving people that don't look like us and talk like us and vote like us. Amen? Serving people that we don't even get along with. I promise if you want to be an apologetic, if you want to show the gospel to people in the world that do not understand what you believe, if you will love them and serve them, I promise you it will turn their life inside out. Why? Because it will be the closest that you will ever be to Jesus. For God so loved the world that what? He gave. Everybody say, He gave. His only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. It's a famous verse that God so loved the world. And so, pastor said it before, I'll say it again. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Let me say that again. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. God says, if you're going to love, loving, and I'll say this, and I'll add this in, loving Giving and serving go together. Loving, giving, serving go together. You want to be satisfied in your life? You want to be fulfilled in your life? Find a place that you can give your gifts away. 
Find a place to give. You know why most people in church, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but most people in church who are not content with church, most people who are not content with church are probably most people, they're not serving and giving their gifts away in that church. Amen? It's true. It's true. I find that most people who love, give, give themselves to the church and use their talents for the church are feel full of why? Because they're loving what they're giving their life to. Amen? We become what we give our life to. Let me say that again. We become what we give our life to. Not just John 3.16, but John also wrote another verse in 1 John 3.16. And he says, this is how we know what love is, real love. This is how we know that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus laid down his life. And what? We ought to lay down our lives for each other. What does this mean? Is God saying to us that we should give up our life, right? If we should go and die for that, our brother or sister. What God is saying this is this. We should prefer the needs of our brothers and sisters above our own. Is that easy? No. Is it Christ-like? Yes. Right? Paul talks about this. We were talking about this last night in a meeting that we were in. Paul talking about the understanding that when I prefer my brother above someone else, I am truly displaying God's love in my life. The most visible way that I can show my wife that I love her is if I prefer her needs above my needs. Are you with me? Amen. So how much more is that true in our relationships in this life and our relationships in this world? How many of you deal with difficult people? There's a difficult person in your life. Raise your hand. Now, if you're married to them, don't raise your hand. Come on, I want to see hands. You have a difficult person in your life. That's my wife. I told you a while ago, my wife calls them sandpaper people. Why? They kind of knock the corners off of you. With me? All right, I just took a survey. For those of you who are online, there was a lot of people in this room. You want to know how you can show God's love to them? Find a way to serve that person. And you will break down the walls of that difficulty in their life. What if they don't even believe in God? So much the more. Let me say that again. So much the more. The ninth characteristic of thinking like Jesus. I want to do God's will, not my will. Jesus said this, John 6, 38, I came to do what God wants me to do, not to do what I want to do. I came to do what God wants me to do, not to do what I want to do. Do you realize what a radical counterculture this is? Almost no one today says, I'm alive to do what God wants me to do. No. Most people say, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do it when I want to do it. I want to do it where I want to do it. And I want to do it with whomever I want to do it with. They write songs about it. Right? Our culture is awash with it. Why? It is a self-centered way of living. It's all about me and what I want. But Jesus says, if you're going to think like me, act like me, and walk this life out my, like me, you have to learn to do God's will above your will. 
Not many people are saying, I've come to give my life away. I've come to do for others. I've come to serve and to give. Most of us are saying, I've got to do what's best for me. I've got to look out. How many of you heard this before? said, I've got to look out for number one. Right? Look at John 14, 31. Jesus says this. I want the world to know that I love the Father. Let me ask you this evening, the end of this Bible study, do you want the world to know that you love God? How do you do that? You do that by not living out your life according to your desire. Obedience is the evidence of love. Now hear me very carefully. We do not obey to get God to love us. God loves us. So now we have the ability and the power to obey. Why? Because I love my father. And when I am convicted of my sin, I'm convicted in my heart. Why? Because I know that I'm disappointing God. Now it's easy to do what God tells us when it's fun. It's easy for us to do what God tells us when it's easy. Right? It's easy for us to do what God tells us when it's our pleasure. But what about the times when God asks you to do something when it's difficult? And if you read the lives of the disciples, the followers, the apostles of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, every time they obeyed God, it wasn't necessarily fun. To think like Jesus means I want to do God's will even when it's painful, even when it's difficult. I spent the majority of my life I have spent my entire life up to moving out in the home of a preacher. All of my life, I have felt the pressure to be a preacher, to be a pastor, to be some person in ministry. I never felt that pressure from my parents. My parents had tremendous wisdom. They never one time... uh, talk to me or or sit me down and say David we have a great expectation that God is going to use you in the ministry they never put a call on my life they had the wisdom not to do that why because only God can put a call on your life not your mother your father your sister-in-law your wife or your girlfriend only God but I lived under the pressure the unspoken pressure and even in school when people found out Especially in junior high and high school, people found out uh, who, what my dad did for a living. And they felt, and they, they always, that was always a response. Well, are you going to be a preacher? And if they didn't know, you know, any, any better, are you going to be a priest? <laughs> and I would always say this. No, I'm not going to do that unless God calls me to do. And I don't really want to do that because I have seen how people mistreat people in the ministry. And that's just real. And so I said, if God is going to call me, then I want him to do what he did with the Apostle Paul. I want him to blind me on the road to Damascus And write with lightning bolts across the sky, David, you are now being called into the ministry. I wanted it plain, Sister Gwen. I wanted it black and white. I wanted it in a giant neon Las Vegas sides letters. I did not want there to be any question that God was calling me 
And I said that enough to figure out finally, after God did call me, that he called me in the moment of my greatest pain to that point. Why? Because God always has a way of getting our attention. I did not want to go into ministry. I wanted to teach school. I wanted to go into law. I wanted to do all of these things, this laundry list of all of these things that I wanted to do. But God said, nope, I've got a different plan for you. And it doesn't matter how far you run doesn't matter how far you go. And I went all the way to Seattle, Washington, over 2,000 miles away from my family and friends where hardly anyone knew me. And that was in the middle of my Damascus moment, God calls me into the ministry. I didn't want to do it, but that's what God's plan was for me. And then I had to come to a place where I fell on my face in a little church in Tacoma, Washington, and say, Lord, I surrender to you not my will but your will be done and it was in that moment that I realized that I was most fulfilled out of everything else that I had ever done in my life not our will but what God's will be done Jesus is on the cross pastor talked about it Sunday Jesus is on the cross He's in, before he goes to the cross, he's in the garden. And what does he say? He says, what? Father, if it's what? Your will. Do what? Please take this cup of suffering from me. What was in that cup? What was in that cup? There's only two references to, to a cup like that, a spiritual cup like that in the, to the entire Bible. And if you go back to the New Testament, to the Old Testament, it is the cup of the wrath of God against the sins of the world. Jesus knew exactly what was in that cup. And he knew that if he drank that cup, he was about to drink the wrath of God against the sins of the entire human race. And in that moment, I believe that that was, if there was ever a weak moment in the flesh of Jesus, it was in that moment. But then he says, but not what my will, but your will be done. And then once he drank that cup of God's wrath and that was poured out upon him as he went to the cross, there was never a moment of weakness past that. Why? Because he knew what God had called him to do amen we have to learn and understand sometimes we go through things not just for ourselves but for the benefit of others it's called redemptive suffering sometimes god allows us to go through things so people around our life can see how we handle them with god's help right goes back to what i talked about a while ago I know God is a prayer of surrender. I know God that you can fix this. But if you don't fix it like I think you can, I still surrender to your will being done. Ladies and gentlemen, I promise you, surrendering to the will of God is both the most difficult thing you can do and the most fulfilling thing you can do at the same time. Finally, and I'm closing with this as the musicians come. The tenth thing that I must learn to think like Jesus, have the mind of Jesus, is this. I must think with an eternal perspective. My thinking must elevate itself 
above the things of this world, this flesh, this earth, this life. And I must put my mind on eternity. Everybody say eternity. Ladies and gentlemen, sisters and brothers, Paul says everything that you're going through, and I'm paraphrasing, all the suffering, all the trials, all the tribulation, everything that you're encountering in this world, when you get to eternity and you stand in the glory of God, it's just going to be a blip on the radar. It will not compare to the glory of God. Human beings can stand an enormous amount of pain if number one, they can see the purpose in their pain and number two, they can see the reward past that pain. Jesus knew what was beyond the cross. Are you with me? Jesus knew what was beyond the cross for the joy that was what? Set before him. He endured. Jesus was willing to die a shameful death. Hebrews 12, 2 on the cross. Why? Because of the joy that he knew would be his afterward. He was able to endure the shameful pain of the cross because he knew the joy that was to come. I love this in the message paraphrase. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished the race that we are in. Why does that give us hope? That gives me hope because I know that if Jesus finished the race, then I can finish the race. If Jesus has already entered in, then I one day also. Are you with me? I also can enter in. Why? Because He's prepared the way. He's gone before me. I said He's gone before me. And so whatever you're going through, you've got to do what? you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. No matter the pain or the circumstances you stand tonight, no matter the chaos, no matter the trial, no matter what it is, if you will learn to do what? Keep your eyes on Jesus. How many of you are going through something right now that you wish God would just take you out of? You would just wish, you just wish God would just pluck you. Anybody? About five or ten of you? All of us encounter those things in our life. But God doesn't necessarily always... How many of you have learned this? God doesn't necessarily always take us out of it. The majority of the time, what does He do? He gives us the strength to do what? Keep going through it. He never promised Israel in Isaiah 43. He never promised Israel, I'm going to take you out of the fire. I'm going to take you out of the flood. I'm going to take you out of the storm. He said, when you go through, I promise you this, you're not going through alone. So I don't know what you're going through tonight on this Wednesday night, but I do know this. I know a God that's with you. And if you'll keep your eyes on Jesus, He'll walk with you through it and guide you through it. But you have to learn to do what? Think like Him. Can we pray right now? Lord Jesus, thank You for Your Word tonight. Not because of this vessel, but because Your Word is eternal. I pray, Lord, for every person that's enduring a trial, enduring a situation, enduring a circumstance that they're going through. I pray, Lord, that they would learn to take Your Word, to think like You. Not just to think you like, like You, but to speak according to the word that's within them to keep their eyes upon you and know that you're going to walk with them 
through every situation. No matter how painful it is, no matter how difficult it is, God, I thank you for walking with us through it right now in Jesus' name. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. We thank God for you. We can't wait to see you Sunday morning. Sister Kaylee and the 